0: Does D and D have too many rules?
1: Oh, oh, nope, nope. <laughs> it has the perfect amount of rules. Absolutely, the perfect amount of rules. Whatever you are playing at your table is the right amount of rules, as long as everyone's having fun. I
2: guess so. Yeah, it, it's kind of like there's the one rule where as long as you're having fun, everybody's good. Like the golden rule of D and D. As long as you got that one, you're good. I agree. Uh,
0: it well, what could do you use do with
2: more. My... It
1: what... could fifth ed could use some definitive answers occasionally. Yeah. But then again, we're from 3.5 or, or I guess you're AD&D. So we go, we go way back with there actually being rules for real shit.
0: Yeah. No, I just don't understand why like there's this many rules. And they're like, oh, but you could potentially do this. But if you don't want to, you could do this. But if you kind of, well, maybe if you kind of want to do that, you could probably do this. It's
1: because they're pussyfooting around and trying to keep everybody happy all of the time. That's yeah. crazy
0: to me. Just make a rule. <laughs> just stick to it. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get.
2: Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeon Master Tips. I'm Dan, and with me today are Megan and Adam, and this episode is called Variant Rules, Class Dippings, Taking Whippings, and Fun Equippings.
0: Great one, by the way.
1: Yeah, Great. that took like 45 minutes to find something that was gonna rhyme
2: you've got me building a couple of the breakdowns now and finding a name for them is the single highest cause of anxiety in my life because like uh, there's a standard that i have to meet now
1: oh you know i i drive to work by myself now like an hour most days just rambling over things in my head trying to figure out what the next episode is going to be called
2: jeez well we have previously covered a lot in our conversations on dungeon mastering and you can find over 30 episodes covering tips tricks and inspirations on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps. Or you could jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on Dungeon Master tips that we've built there. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to sit down and crack open the whole discussion on variant rules. There are dozens of options in the published material for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, and some of you might be unnecessarily making homebrew rules without realizing there are already other options out there for you. Now, we've already dug into the experience-based variants in episode 47, way back when, so let's look at special character creation rules, unique healing and damage rules, and some interesting entries about unique weapons. But before we get started, I have to ask you guys, is there a variant rule that exists in 5th edition that should just be standardized? Like, yeah, feats. Feats. The answer's gotta be feats. Right? Like, the fact- I'm
0: sorry, that's not standardized? No, No, it's a variant
2: rule. (laughs) Yeah, with all the stuff that came out in Tashes with custom lineages, where when you're building your own custom lineage, you legit get a feat. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's just standard then. Well, the custom lineage is also a
1: variant rule. Yeah. Right? So all of this other lineage shit, except for the Van Richten's ones, I Mm -hmm. think, all of it is, if you're going to customize it, like, that's just a variant rule. There are still actual other rules for it, so... I don't know that or multiclassing. Multiclassing, I feel, is just such—it's so hard baked into D and D. Like, it's, if if they come out with 6th edition, they say you can only be a wizard.
0: Could you imagine the uproar? No,
2: I—I I, well, I would.
0: Dan would I, die. You no,
2: know I would do the exact same thing I did when they announced fourth edition, and be so committed to three point five that I eventually play Pathfinder for five years, seven years, ten years—a while. Play Pathfinder for a while until uh, some asshole in a Tim Hortons drive-through invites me to play fifth edition.
0: Okay, well, way, way to show him, Dan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What well, Wizards is going through a dark time, like, oh shit, Dan isn't, Dan isn't paying Dan's attention to us anymore. I don't think you
2: understand how much money I spent on miniatures back in the day, Adam.
1: I do remember. Some of them got melted down and, and huffed on the side of the yeah. road downtown yeah. Vancouver. That's a story for a different time.
2: That's after. a true story, Megan. That's, that happened. It's, I had the largest. There were some dark times in Dan's life. I had the largest collection of Dungeons & Dragons miniatures in Western Canada for a little while there.
0: How do you know that?
2: Um, Because my collection was worth over $25,000.
0: But who did you compare to?
2: There were websites.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you took the time to compare yourself on websites?
2: When you spend $25,000 on something, yes.
0: I want to be the best at spending money. I, yeah, it,
2: it, 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 it is... Welcome to Capitalism 101. <laughs> it, it is, it
1: you is are the po- 1%. <laughs> it,
2: it, it, it is Pokemon with really cheaply made plastic uh, crack. But uh, I had a roommate or a guy who was sharing a suite break into my house and start taking them box by box by box. I had large like car, uh, comic book boxes that were just full of like, these are all of my medium-sized beasts. And it was like a long cardboard box full of them and he would just take them hop the fence and sell them on the street for like five dollars for ten of them and people were just melting them down to huff the plastic fumes
0: oh my
1: god
2: yeah you said medium-sized beast you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) anyways so we're gonna get right into this with the variant rules today and like i mentioned before we're gonna start with some of the character creation level stuff here and the first one kind of threw me for a loop because it's one of these things that I was pretty sure was standard, but no, is in fact a variant rule, and that is customizing your ability scores when you create a character. So if you have a gander at your character sheet, you know that the base abilities in this game are strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. These determine the baseline for your character's ability in those respective stats. When you create a character, determining these stats are some of the first dice you roll, maybe... So what is the stock way of determining your stats typically in 5e well based off page 13 in the player's handbook the regular way of determining your stats is one of two ways you can either roll four six sided die drop the lowest and add up the totals repeat this process to a total of six times and then distribute those six numbers where you want in your ability scores there is also what is called a standard array which is a pre-generated six numbers that can that you can take to put into your stat line however you want. Only after this is done, do you apply your lineage or racial ability score bonuses. Fun fact, when balancing the game design, game designers will use the stat array as a baseline. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? Uh, 15, no. I'm uh, sure it starts at 15. I 15, was 17
0: in there. No? 15, 14, no.
2: 12, 11, 10, 8. 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Yeah. 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You bitch.
0: <laughs> I just had to make it sound authentic.
2: Okay? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's what that's what came across there on the microphone. Authenticity, <laughs> fucking the, the sincerity was just dripping. Anyways, so knowing that, what is the variant rule? Well, going point by method is apparently the official variant rule. So all of you three d six or sixty twenty or whatever other kooky dook methods you kids are doing today, can shit the fuck down and listen. Your other ways are valid and fun for the most part. <laughs> but Sorry. fuck you 6020. <laughs> You're not official. I like 6020. Did uh, you
0: think 6020 was official?
2: No, it's not even fucking recommended and shouldn't be. That is a fucking cancer in this game. Fuck you, Dave. <laughs>
1: Dave's very worked up this episode.
2: Anyways, point buy works like this. With a base of 8, not 10, in all six of the ability scores, you can purchase increases with points. Other note, based off this rule, you cannot have a score lower than an 8, and since the baseline is 8, there is no minusing from stats further. Got it, you min maxi champions you? So, the variant here has us starting with a bank of 27 points, not 25 like I've done for years. If you want to increase a stat, you pay with some of these points. Simple. There's a handy little table that will help you figure out how much points cost, but simply leaving a stat at 8 costs you nothing. A 9 costs 1 point, 10, 2. 11 costs 3 points, while a 12 costs 4, and a 13 costs 5 points. The pattern ends here, however, because a 14 costs 7, and a 15 costs 9 full-bodied points. But what if I want a 16? Well, too fucking bad. 15 is the highest baseline ability score you can have with this method. Remember, when this is all done, you can then apply your racial and lineage scores for your final totals. The strengths of this system give you a fully customizable stat line without having to worry about the randomness of stat rolling. The negatives are, like the standard array, if you want to start the game with an ability score higher than a 17 after racial modifiers, you're shit out of luck. Wait till your ASI is at level 4, assuming you don't multiclass, and we'll get to that in a minute. So, guys, as a DM, would you include this rule at your table? Let's roll initiative.
1: 11. I had a 14. I got a four. We did something weird for this last campaign that we did. Mm-hmm, and yeah. we did, was a draft? Yeah, we did a draft. Everybody rolled seven times. We dropped the last handful of, like, the lowest bunch. And then, I think we did initiative order or something. I can't remember how we did this. And then people got to choose, you know, which number they wanted first. Which, obviously, the high ones went first. Yeah. That was a bizarre way of doing it. And in retrospect, I regret it. It screwed over the person that went last. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious because you the only one that don't go unconscious on a regular fucking basis in this campaign. <laughs> it's because she's so, playing carefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea of this standard, this point buy, I don't like it. I don't like it. The best you can do is 15, 15, 15, 8, 8, 8.
2: That's mm-hmm. as min-max as you can get. I don't like it. No. They, they recommend a more balanced 13, 13, 13, 12, 12, 12. Sure, but that's still just plus ones and plus twos. Oh wait, yeah, plus ones, but plus twos after uh,
1: uh, racial bonuses. Maybe unless you get a couple of three plus ones,
2: which you can get now, yeah. right? Um, I like point buy. I really, I really do because. It, uh, sorry, Megan, you were next.
0: Oh, Fuck. That's okay. I mean, if you really want to talk about it, I feel like you have no, feelings. Go today ahead. About go, ahead go ahead. Go um, ahead. I've played in games with the point buy system. I don't much care for it. I just find that it's too convoluted and too complicated. I like things that are simple. Sometimes I regret my choices, and I just, I don't know. I don't i don't enjoy it.
1: I, also, I spend $7 on a fucking set of dice. I want to roll them more often. Right? 100%.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's fair. I, I personally love point buy because as a DM, it standardizes your players. Uh, no matter what they do, they have comparable stats across the board. This makes balancing encounters a little easier and doesn't make your players superheroes at level 1, which makes them have to earn it. I think it's going to be far more beneficial for one shots.
0: Absolutely. Oh yeah,
2: one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, for a player, I like it because it makes me confident that I won't be outshined by another player's lucky rolls. Right. Like, uh, I've been at tables before where I'll roll my stats, which almost always have an eighteen, a seventeen, a sixteen, and my lowest is a thirteen. My D sixes love me. Um, but one and of my that's where it stops. The D twenties do not. The D twenties do not. But my I have I have a friend who uh. Cannot roll above a 12 with 46 to save his life.
0: Mm, I do remember in the last playthrough Ed, that Dave and I played in together, my rolls were not very good and his were quite wonderful. And I was like, eh. <laughs> right? And,
2: and I hate that. Like, if you're going to do a multi-year campaign with that, oh, that would...
0: But again, had one-shot. Like, it was... Yeah. I didn't really much care. It was just a hoot and holler.
2: Honestly, I like the idea of there being a
1: minimum total as well. If you don't reach a certain number mm-hmm. of, of points overall when you add up to six stats... Reroll that solves it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Give it like a like a medium line at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: I, you know, I don't mind it. I really don't. It's fine. It if that's the way that they move going forward, because everybody's equal and and there is no strife anymore in D D for sixth ed. Then fine, sure, yeah, I'm cool with it. It doesn't really kill me. Uh, Everyone's
0: sure gonna do the way they want to do it, anyways. It doesn't really matter what rule they put in the book. I will
1: say this. In the the world of online gaming, I'm going to lean on this or standard array more than dice rolling if I can't watch you roll.
2: Yeah. Mm, Um, True. And and I feel like the people who are going to have the bigger problem with this method are going to be veterans in the game who have had a 20 at level 1 in strength for their barbarian. Yep. Mm. Right? Because you rolled the 46, you got the plus 2 because you're a half-orc. Right? And you're used to that. Newer players are just going to be thrilled that they have a 16 in something. Holy shit, I could lift almost a ton, right? That's still an impressive stat line, and people just have to get used to a 16 is actually fucking great.
1: The other thing, too, is I'm curious to know how this was balanced against the bounded
2: accuracy, right? The standard array, if you if you uh, point it out, is twenty seven point by.
1: Okay. No, no, I mean, like... <sighs> What is the average, I, I'm curious what the average is for rolling. Is it 27 as well? If, if you roll a thousand times, will your average be roughly 27? Oh, I have no right? idea. I'm just, I'm curious
2: because I would like to know it when I get that 10% boost, right? I know in previous editions, uh, point buy has started at 10, but only been 15 point buy. I've done that. Or 25 point buy with 3.5, I've done that. Yeah, but also things AC can get up into the thirties and forties and shit and those. Oh
1: yeah. So like, it it makes sense to to min max the shit out of things. Then. Yeah. I don't mind this now that I mean I don't think we see an AC above 24, mm. 20, oh. 26, maybe one of the one of the CR thirty gods or something. Yeah. But I don't. I feel like. Feats are more important than ability scores
2: now. So this Mm -hmm. shit doesn't really hurt as much. Yeah. Well, speaking of feats, let's move on to the next one, which is our custom lineages. Um, Up until recently, one of the main deciding factors of the race for your character, be they NPC or PC, was their racial ability score bonuses, as well as the individual unique abilities each race gave. Firstly... For ability scores, each race got a mix of usually a plus two and a plus one to two different ability scores. And, for the most part, these were set in stone. Your base race, like a halfling, dwarf, elf, would give you a base plus two, and then the sub race would grant you an additional plus one to a different stat. If you had no sub races like a dragonborn or half orcs or tiefling, yes, I'm only going to be going with the PHB races here, you would get your plus two and a plus one, Listed out with your base race, while if your character had some human blood in them, some humans or half elves, you got either a plus one in all ability scores, yikes, or a plus two to charisma and a and two plus ones wherever you wanted them. For all the additional abilities each race gave, this threw more chaos into the equation with some races gaining dark vision, additional proficiencies, minor innate spellcasting, and a bunch of other stuff. Throwing a decade of additional races out there, and this is gets even more confusing as every race has different bonuses and introductions of some races or variants, looking at you fucking humans, just became overwhelming to all but the most seasoned D&D player. Well, thank you, Tasha, because Wizards of the Coast saw this and brought on the contentious custom lineage subrule. With the custom lineage, you got to choose everything about the race you were making, which can replace the stats for the base races already established in the game, or if you want to play a half-dwarf, half-orc, Tyler, you could just pick... What made sense to you uh, how you wanted your character to be? Well, flip all the way to page eight of Tashes to see what we have there. Firstly, you are still bound to being a humanoid, which means you have two arms, two legs, and a head. This doesn't nullify uh, wings or a tail or a vestigial twin, but it does give you loose guidelines to your creation. Next, you could be either small or medium, but don't worry. This won't affect your speed at all, as all custom lineages move at a standard 30 feet. Additionally, pick Uh. one, one score, and you get to add a plus two to that. No plus one to another stat for you. Next, you gain a feat, so as long as you meet the requirements for that feat. I guess if you're using this variant rule, you'll have to use the feats variant rule too now. Next, you get a variable trait, which is either dark vision to 60 feet, or a proficiency in a skill of your choosing. One of those is significantly more important than the other. Uh, depending on character. Like, (laughs) I mean,
1: (laughs) yes, you can find a couple of strange use cases, like, way out in the periphery, but
2: dark vision. Yes, yeah, you go dark vision, yeah. Finally, your custom lineage will be able to speak common and one other language you agree with your DM about. (laughs) Yep. So this has brought in a lot of argument in the D and D sphere, um, but for our purposes, I'm going to try to stay impartial for now. The strengths of this are obvious. This is further character customization without being bound to racial abilities. You will often forget you had looking at you mask of the wild. This gives you a. Do you guys know what that is? Mask of the wild? No, it, man. I, I'm a dungeon master. It lets wood elves hide in trees. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. like like fucking everybody else can. Great. Anyways. This gives you a character that is truly all your own. As a downside, a custom lineage is still slightly less powerful than many of the standard out races. You cannot take a custom lineage and build a high elf beat for beat or a dragonborn or even a triton. The boon of the feat, which may give you that plus one you're missing, is nice, but many of the feats are purely mechanical and, this is now not so impartial, custom lineages force you to leave out a lot of the interest, interesting lineage flavor on the cutting room floor. So, guys, same initiative order. Are you allowing custom lineages in your games?
1: No, not even a little bit, not even slightly. Somebody comes to me with that, and I gotta slap them. I will slap them. Then I will slap you hard in the face, or like you slap me. Oh, um, first one, then the other. Okay, cool. We we, we need you to know who's boss. So, <laughs> it, it really Megan really wants to leave. Yeah, yeah, Megan is the, the boss. boss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: Very good.
0: <laughs> we all know who's in charge. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Quite. So, uh, no, I, this is bullshit. This is just them pandering to the idiot masses online that said that racial bonuses are racist. Instead of them being specious. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i sorry. I've got some issues with this. Um, have a unique, interesting, flavorful character. We have like 108 options for you to choose from by the time we go through all the Eberron shit and the thousands of different Simic hybrid builds that you could fuck it. There's the options are out there. And if you are so desperate that you want to play, uh uh I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head that we don't have a spider person, right? Then uh, shit, homebrew that. We don't need this special nonsense out there for it, right? Like people are going to take and pick and choose what they want. This didn't make it better. This is made it more generic. Yeah. And that's my complaint. Mm-hmm. Okay. Megan?
0: I would not. And even as a player, I would not want to do this. I feel like half the fun of making a character is going and looking at some of the lineage stuff and looking at the backgrounds and like looking at what the history of something is and like taking inspiration from that and creating your backstory. Yeah. So I find that if you take away it to your point, leaving it on the country room floor. You're basically building something from scratch for no fucking reason.
1: And yeah, like, let's <laughs> play this game that we spent this money to play. Let's I
0: bought this book with all these things, and I'm not going to use any of it. Is basically <laughs> what you're saying, and I'm not about it. And I think it's stupid.
2: I I view so uh, uh, yes with an asterisk for me. In my opinion on this one, I'm okay with my players using it as long as the class, or sorry, the race that they are building is supported with a large amount of lore to them right if you want to make up your own race justify to me why you can the other thing because my biggest issue with this is that it leaves a lot of lore on the cutting room floor it leaves a lot kind of just not said right why would you build a character with tinkering why would you it makes no sense right why would you build a race that has a bonus to that it, it, you wouldn't so i want to see stuff like that in it But as a DM, I am looking at this as a way for me to kind of build my own uh, skeletal structure for how to build and homebrew my own races, right? And and gives me some insight into what they are looking at, how to balance them out. No, I'm sorry, but it's bullshit
1: because they didn't give us enough, right? Because what you're doing is having to reverse engineer their bullshit. What they should have done, I agree with you that they should have done that. Mm. They should have given us 20 fucking pages of it.
2: In the monster manual. Yes, or the DMG.
1: Yeah, or even the player's handbook. If you want to do, the, or Xanathar is one of the player's the player's handbooks, right? Like, I don't care which one. Put it in tashes. I don't care. It's just give us this huge section which says, if you want to play with different perceptions, it'd be this. How do you build the lore for, you know what? You know what? If they'd done this for subclasses, I'd have been fine. You want to make a new kind of elf? Hey, not all elves are the same. Do you want to make a new one? Great, here you go. Do you want to make a new kind of drow? Here you go. I have no problem with that. And then they incorporate backgrounds, and you can sub out this for that. I like that, yeah. Right? But the idea of you just building it from the ground up is just like, oh, I'm going to be a fucking butterfly person, and I get a limited amount of bullshit, but no support anywhere. And by the way, can I fly? That's not listed anywhere. Can I? I'm a butterfly person. Now you're negotiating with your DM, and there's no rules anywhere about it. Yeah.
0: And your DM just wants to kick you in the face as a result. So.
1: Yeah, uh, I have so much prep to do. Do not bring me your twenty-five page backstory.
0: Don't tell me about your butterfly.
1: I literally got handed a twenty-five
2: page backstory for one of my players. Like uh, I think it was twenty-six pages, and 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 I just went, "Puff, no."
0: <laughs> my backstories are usually five to twenty-six lines.
1: Hey, I, I'm fine with that. I want, look, I want the 25-page backstory because I'm insane, but I will also want to sit down with the highlighter and say, yes, yes, <laughs> no, yes. Uh, uh, Megan just brought me a wonderful backstory for her latest character, who is the the chosen protector of a, and I just pulled the rug out for you on the other, nope the protector. One hundred percent. That was yep. like the
0: biggest, twi- the best twist I've ever had in my life.
1: And we're in level two. You're
0: like, you're like, you're like. Thanks for this backstory, Megan. Let me just flip it and reverse it. Hey,
1: hey you, you know that mentor that was training you how to, how to protect this person? Yeah, the person is evil, and is also the mentor, and has also been totally undermining you. This your way.
0: whole life is a yeah. lie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she wanted the bad guys. Level and, two. And we're level two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here I am playing a circus freak. Anyways. That'd so, <laughs> the next one we're going to talk about here is probably my favorite of the all variant rules. It's held in such high regard with me that I'm currently playing a character where I've been challenged not to use it. So fuck you both for that challenge because I love multi classing, <laughs> <laughs> and it's specifically you two. So fuck specifically yeah, we, we, you we two. Challenged. Yeah, we we really did put the screws to you on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, surprisingly, this is a variant rule in 5e, which would mean that unless your DM approves it, once you choose a fighter at level 1, you're stuck as a fighter until level 20. This proves the idea that 5e is a system built on the belief that a character should be played from level 1 to 20 in the same class. If you and your gaming friends want to defy that stupid fucking idea, though, flip on over to page 163 to your player's handbook to see the holy grail of fucking Dungeons and & Dragons and take a look at multiclassing. Multiclassing is when you decide to break from your baseline class to level up into another one of the classes in D and D Five E. Got four levels of fighter, and now you decide you want a little more spellcasting than even an Eldris Knight subclass could offer. Well, stay at level four fighter with a level in sorcerer for all your fire bolty goodness. Doing this changes your class levels but keeps your character level consistent. Any abilities that would say gain x uh, gain at x levels in this class. And gain at X character levels would be two completely different things. In my earlier example, as a level 4 fighter, level 1 sorcerer, you'd be uh, you'd be attacking as a 4th level fighter. Since you haven't gained the extra attack ability, a 5th level fighter would gain. But your cantrips would be cast at a 5th level character level, since they scale based on character levels. Got it? Yep. Moving on. To multi-class into any one of the classes, you need to meet a certain requirement. Those are all the minimum abilities scores in the abilities that those classes are based around. Going down the list, you have Barbarians who require a minimum uh, strength score of 13. Bards, minimum 13 in Charisma. Clerics, Wisdom 13. Druids, also Wisdom 13. Fighters, a 13 in either Strength or Dex. Monks, a 13 in Dexterity and Wisdom. You need a 13 in both. Paladins, same deal, a 13 in Strength and Charisma. Rangers, same deal again, a 13 in both Dexterity and Wisdom. Rogues, you need just a 13 in Dexterity. Sorcerers, Charisma, 13. Warlocks, also Charisma, 13. Wizards, 13. And if you want to a class, Sorry, art, Wizards what? Uh, intelligence of 13. And if you want to multiclass in an Artificer, you need a minimum of 13 int as well. Thank you, Tasha's. Now, should you meet those requirements, you don't just get all the level one proficiencies, hit points, and everything like you're starting at level one. No, it plays like you've gained a level normally. You would roll for hit points, although you would use the new hit dice for whatever class you're leveling in, gain a narrowed selection of the base proficiencies, there is a chart that you could read, and gain all of the first level abilities of the class. Your proficiency bonuses, much like a cantrip, is based off your character level, however, so even if you were level 4 fighter and a level 1 sorcerer, you'd still gain a proficiency bonus as a 5th level character. So, a 3. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated when you start mixing classes that share some abilities. Like, say you're going from paladin into cleric and gain some channel divinity powers. You gain the new powers, but only gain charges based off class levels so you would not gain new additional charges by multiclassing. For extra attack, you take whatever gives you more attacks. The features don't add together, even if you have an invocation that's worded poorly. Looking at you, thirsting blade. If you are a barbarian, that's monk, my nickname in college.
0: <laughs> Stop it.
2: <laughs> seek help. If you are a barbarian monk, you don't get the mix of getting to add two different types of unarmored defense together and, like extra attack, you just take the most beneficial version. And finally, the granddaddy of all shared abilities, spells. Multiclassing with spells is not as complicated as you'd think. For spells known and prepared, you follow your class levels for that. However, for spell slots, you add up all of your levels in full caster classes, which are Bard, Cleric, druid sorcerers and wizards then add that to half your total rounded down in levels in either paladin or rogue and a third round down as well of your total fighter or rogue levels and then balance that versus the chart on page 165 in the player's handbook okay where does warlock land in that we'll get to it in a minute okay spell slot growth matches that of a full caster but your effective caster level changes depending on the classes you go so as an example, with this uh, math, if you are a fifth level wizard, fourth level paladin, and third level eldritch knight fighter, based off the chart, you'd have the spell slots of an eighth level full caster. Five plus half of four, which is two, plus a third of three, which is one, equals eight. Art podcast doing math fun. It's super fun. <laughs> this could mean that your spells, n- this could mean that your spells known maybe outpaces your spell slots, but only slightly. But Dan Warlocks you say. Yes, Thanks I for do. jumping ahead in my fucking script Adam. Well, Warlock's function n- This is scripted? It is for me. <laughs> warlock's function nutty with spells as it begins. So multiclassing into warlock, you think it'd be nutty too. Well, not really. Both spellcasting features in this case would be based off your class level, but spell slots between the two could be used to cast spells from either list. Take a level in warlock with your 3rd level wizard, you'd have all the spells known <laughs> of your wizard with its wizardly four first-level spell slots and two second-level spell slots, and you would add your one first-level short-rest spell slot you'd get from being a warlock. If you keep up with warlock for a few levels and hit level four, you'd still have all your wizardly four first-level spells and two second-level spell slots, but you'd have a new shiny two second-level short-rest spell slots to use as well. Fuck warlocks, man.
1: I'm sorry, that's... That's too much. just <laughs> that's, 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 I like math, but, but no.
2: Um, your uh, Warlock Paladins are a, a favorite thing for a reason, because you get smites back on short rests. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. Strengths are simply versatility, fun theory crafting, and unique character builds when it comes to multi-classing. It also gives you your ability to change a job halfway through a campaign as the story or your desire suit. Weaknesses are, well... You only get up to 20th level character level, so for every level you multi-class, it's a level off your cap in another class. If you're going for that sick level 20 ranger capstone, but took that level of fighter at level six, well, you're out of luck. Remember though, a lot of class features may directly contradict a tentpole feature of another class as well. So if you go barbarian sorcerer and forget you can't cast spells or concentrate when raging, you may regret that decision to multiclass some work exceedingly well however looking at you warlock paladin or sorcerer paladin or bard paladin or fighter paladin
0: paladin sorcerer yes.
2: warlock is or a big... rogue paladin <laughs> monk paladin would be pretty good too ideas or just change out paladin for sorcerer and same fucking thing uh, so have fun get creative and as with anything in this game discuss it with your dm bef- and your party before you commit okay so guys Do you allow multi-classing at your table? You fucking don't. At least not with me. I do. I do all of the time. For everybody, yes, absolutely. It's a part
1: of D&D. Unless the name's Dan. Uh, No, I allow it. I'm just challenging you this once to not do it. And you've been a bitter shit about it for the last like three months. I have every right to be. So anyway, I absolutely allow this. I have no problem whatsoever. Have fun. Play the character you want to play. By the time that you are multiclassing to a degree that it matters for me and balance and how many hit points or how many spell slots, by the time I'm there anyway, I'm I'm still up against shit like a twilight cleric and uh, and a purple dragon knight and a scout and a battle master in the same party, which is a totally imbalanced party. So. Me as a DM, I'm handing out magic items or I'm yeah. hitting different plot points or there's different special monsters I'm using for encounters. Like, I'm still having to do this math. It doesn't matter if you also have the ability to cast cantrips or suddenly you get a, an extra attack at level 11. Like, I don't give a fuck. You do you. Have fun. Me as a DM, I'm here to tell the story and to make it as fun and balanced as possible. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, I would... Like, I mean, to be like, I was surprised that it's not just in stock D and D in fact I was quite surprised so but as a player I, I fucking hate multi-classing I hate math <laughs> I don't play D D for math I, I am not a math person. I enjoy playing D&D for character stuff, for conversation, for having a hoot with my friends. If someone tells me that I could build my character better, I will tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> I don't give a shit if I'm not maxing my character to its greatest abilities. I'm just here to have a good time.
1: You're a role player, D&D player, though, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I enjoy it a little bit more. Like, I get, the, I get the kicks out of a good story and a good time. I don't get kicks out of rolling 17,000 dice and laughing at my DM. That's not really what I care about.
2: Um, Never play 3.5. No,
1: that's, that's what it's for. I've been Pathfinder told, yeah. as well is the same thing. Um, if you ever need to multi class, you should do what Mieka does every time she needs to build a character. Mm. She turns to me and says, Do the math. You should turn to Dan. Because he will sit there and go,
2: Oh, thank God I can do some math. Oh, this is going to be
0: a great time for me. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. so for my monk
2: paladin, <laughs> I, 100% I could do that, but two campaigns in a row with a paladin? Oh! It's it's her thing. It's, who she <laughs> is. it's my thing. <laughs>
0: it's like it's
2: like Adam and playing nothing. Yes, yeah, that's exactly one hundred percent. For me, I mean, it, fucking yes. It like I'm from a game that not only had multi-classing, it also had prestige classes, and then some prestige classes had additional classes that if you met certain special requirements, you could have the prestige for your prestige class, and. I function very well there. I've tried to play three point five since I played fifth. I can't do it. It is it is such it's, a. It's a little noodly now. It is a little noodly now. So like, <laughs> um,
0: what a great descriptor word.
2: Yeah, noodly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do I allow multi classing? Yes, I encourage it, but I, I I can't get over the fact that five E is kinda bent towards going from 1 to 20 in one class
1: no it isn't it's built for going from 1 to 12 because that's when all of the campaigns oh, end yes that's true too yeah
0: or start at 6 end at 7 like you know that's just yeah. how she goes yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah hey everybody it's been a while since we've done one of these but we still do shoutouts for people involved in the D&D community so we received a request from Keith for the Empire's Edge podcast it's a really good but small scale live play D&D podcast uses 5e rules, but the world is kind of a parallel to the Forgotten Realms-type world. It's called Jordan. The DM is a high school teacher, his wife, college-aged son, and his son's friend are the players, and they still seem to be flying under the radar, but are going strong at episode 95 of a weekly podcast that runs for about an hour each. The DM, Matt, is a great storyteller, and Keith was telling me all about how he loves the details of the world and how the gameplay is always interesting and the battles are exciting. Check out the Empire's Edge podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. And don't forget to send us more shoutouts for smaller, hidden, little-known, or non-profit sides of the tabletop role-playing community. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: Alright, so I'm going to talk about some of the variants of healing and damage-taking. More math! So, but greatly enough, it doesn't actually involve a lot of math.
2: Yay! Yay. It
0: just involves a lot of emotions and bullshittery. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I'm going to go into is a little bit of specifically around the healing side of things. Um, there's three different variant rules that you can find within the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 266. Um, I'm going to go through those, through those three with you guys right three now. Through those through, through yes. three of those through and chat a little bit of those. So the first one is the Healer's Kit Dependency. So I had to look up what a healer's kit was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we don't use this one at my table. <laughs> we
0: don't quite use these. But Megan,
2: we've been playing D&D for <laughs> nearly four years together. Yeah. And you have never played once. I yeah. know. But you, to
0: be fair, I feel like I was given this this section because I also am a very bad healer. Yes. Absolutely. And I feel like Adam's trying to teach me a
2: lesson. (laughs) I'm pretty sure my last two characters have been around almost purely to keep you alive sometimes. 100%. Also to get you in trouble, but to keep you alive during the trouble. I want you to know that I
1: specifically handpick sections for people to cover, because either they will be very good at it, or it's time to
2: learn.
0: Very fucking dare. (laughs) You're like the guy in a
2: prayer circle who's like just like leading the prayer in a very certain way. Like, and we'd like to pray for anybody specifically dealing with this issue. Anyone in a red hoodie. Yes. (laughs) Hoomst might be in the audience.
0: Um, All right. Anyway, so healer's kit dependency. So basically you cannot spend hit dice after short rest until someone expends the use of a healer's kit. To bandage and treat your wounds.
2: Love it. Oh god, yes. I think
0: yes. that's kind of cute. Because basically you're adding the realism to the art of healing.
2: I, I'm like, man, that's dark and gritty and awesome. I love the I love the flavor of it.
0: It's kind of cute. It's kind of cute. I like it.
2: I really, really,
1: really like this. However, it's super punishing, Mm -hmm. so I won't do it with new players. And unfortunately, I always have a new player at the table.
0: That's true. There's always one. But you could always take advantage of the fact that you do have experienced players around to kind of help out with that kind of stuff. right? I
2: I would say if it's a new player who's played like a one-shot or like has dipped their toe into D&D, they're the ones you got to watch out for. But if they're completely like fresh to D&D, no man, I I would show them this. And, And like they have no expectations to be shattered with this my big problem with this is the okay i'll talk
1: about it later okay uh
0: well i was gonna ask because technically the healer's kit you should don't have to do a medicine check to do the bandaging Mm -hmm. um and it's just meant to bring someone stabilized basically it's
2: a wisdom check if i believe if i'm correct
0: it says it does not require anything for a wisdom for a medicine check it's just you just use it yeah okay um so i was gonna ask in this instance would you at your table make them make a medicine check no no
1: no, absolutely not. So, all right, here's my issue.
0: Okay, take it, take us through it.
1: It's resource management. Yeah. If Dan will not retreat because he desperately needs to kill the thing, and his priority, because of his character choices and whatnot, is to kill the thing because he's playing a barbarian, and the wizard and the bard in the back are like, <laughs> Dan, fuck, let's go. Mm-hmm. Retreat. And Dan just takes hit after hit after hit, and he does it, and he wins. And everyone gets experience, and he moves forward. You guys get into the next section, there's a chance for arrest. And he's got to use three healing kit slots for this. And now you don't have a healing kit anymore. And you still have a third of the dungeon to go through. If somebody dies in the next third of the dungeon, Dan is to blame. Checks out. Does... does Which the- is which is not fair. It's not your fault. Right? Which is why I, I don't like... I love them for the gritty realism. And I like them for experienced players. Because we won't blame them. That's why I don't like it for new players who's brand new character. When they don't know
2: all the mechanics they may end up going down and not having enough heals back. How does the mechanic break down because I'm sitting here going if it's consumed if the healer's kit is consumed per hit die, holy shit, that's that's horribly inefficient. But if it is consumed per short rest. Yeah, no, then
0: you can, you you can use your hit dice as per normal per short rest as long as you have a kit expended on you. Per character uh, that, I don't think it actually established that.
2: Because I would say you have one for the party per short rest. And then that is less punishing. No, okay, all right, fine.
1: Extrapolate then that, that this happens to you over three short rests. And we're suddenly out of healer's kits.
2: Then that is more on the whole party. for I, I just got through, a was I think it was like seven sessions without a single long rest. That I, I had my players going through. Because they were exploring a cave system and just would not stop moving forward. And I'm like, guys, here's an opportunity to rest. Nope, we're going to, okay. Sure. Right? And and they just kept going and they lost people because of it. So, like, at some point, it's it's the party's decisions led them to that and it's no one's fault but the party. I
1: just think with new players, their My Precious Character shit is going to get in the way here.
0: But here's a nice one to kind of even that out a little bit. It's called Healing Surges. Okay. Alright, so once per short or long rest, uh, basically even during battle, a player can spend their action to heal using hit dice. They do not have to be rolled at the same time, you can actually choose to keep rolling after you've rolled. So you don't have to do a mitt full of dice, you can do them one at a time.
1: So you get up to whatever number you're looking for. Exactly,
0: right? Um, Also under this rule, all hit dice are reset after a long rest and subsequently regained hit dice up to their level divided by four on a short rest. So they're regained quite easily and quite quickly, as long as you're not in the middle of a dungeon. Some may even allow a healing surge as a bonus action rather than an action. So it actually gives you that option within the variant rules as well.
2: My knowledge of fourth is, is lackluster, but healing surges are a fourth thing, right? Uh, fourth? Ed, I, I don't remember, man. I I dabbled in it so briefly and not as a healer. I'm, I'm pretty sure healing surges were a fourth thing. They were one hit dice? Maybe up to half of your hit dice. This sounds familiar. And it was a bonus action to use. I I hate it. It's D&D survivable enough already.
0: Well, I guess... Okay, so so the bonuses that I have for this one is that it would be primarily used in a group that doesn't have healers, and you're in a dungeon. So... I don't, like, it's not going to happen often. I wouldn't have it in my game completely. I would almost say, like, if we're going into a dungeon crawl, we know we don't have healers. It's almost like a rule I would establish going into, you found an item that gives you this ability.
1: Okay, so here's here's my complaint. A, it makes catnaps less important. Not true. It, it uh, gets in the way of Song of Rest. It steps on the toes of the fighter second wind. Right, like, we have some of those mechanics that are built in there anyway. Mm. Wow, so we don't have a healer? Great. I, as a DM, know that. And there is now a wand of healing or a potion of whatever. Right? Oh, look like,
0: what you found under a rock, oh, no. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then <laughs> and then Dave Dave picks it up and smashes it. One hundred percent. Just yes. breaks it. <laughs> so, which he did in our first session Fuck when you, you guys fields. Yeah. So, but I don't I don't like this. It's it makes life too cheap.
0: I guess. But what if you're playing with a group of your first time players?
2: Still no. No. I'm just going to start them at level three. Fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Damn. Uh, I mean, yeah. I like it. Um, I would make it very, very small. I wouldn't make it like a huge boost to your character just so it was less of a crutch. But I, I do actually kind of like healing surges um now that I'm thinking about it. That is because you are
1: face down in the dirt all the Three time. times a fucking session. Because your
0: well, healer is terrible. One hundred
1: percent. She may listen to this. <laughs>
0: Well, I was a healer in one campaign. The yeah. new healer is much better than I.
1: <laughs> Which campaign? The last one. The paladin. My
0: paladin was not a healer, but should have been a healer. Never once. Never on once. Hands. I used it on myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad your dad's sword died. Oh, Or sword dad. How does that my, work? My dad's sword? Your sword dad.
0: <laughs> Shut up. Uh, and then finally, we have the slow natural healing. So again, I feel like this one adds a little bit of realism into your game. So no hit points regained after a long rest. Instead, they use hit dice like you would if you were doing a short rest, traditionally. I feel like this is for your hardcore goths. Like, I,
1: hardcore feel, I goths. just want to feel pain. <laughs> yeah. This is your...
2: Well, no one else would play Call of Cthulhu with me, so... Yeah. I Actually, know what? If, if you are trying to play a very horror-centered uh, uh, resource management-intensive game, do this.
0: Well, And we have played in like certain dungeons where we weren't able to heal, and this feels a lot like that. So again, I feel like it's not a, a variant rule that you would have to use all the time, but I feel like it would be fun to pull this out every once in a while. You,
2: this is for the people that want to play Dark Souls.
0: Yeah, you just want to hurt.
2: Do the hit dice regen at the same rate? Um. I would assume no, because of the um, uh, that would kind of defeat the purpose of them.
0: It actually doesn't say. It just says characters don't regain hit points at the end of a long rest. Instead, a character can spend hit dice to deal at the end of a long rest, just as they would at a short rest.
2: Okay. So yeah. if this is the case, if this is the case, you are regening uh, half of your hit dice plus one per long rest until, yes. until you get up rules? in traditional yeah. rules. Yeah. Yep. So nah, man, I I I a hundred percent like this. I would love to run my tables like this.
0: Dark I, and scary.
2: You know what? D and D is so survivable. Everyone's got a little bit of a fucking healing ability after level four. Yeah. Okay. Sure. um Can you imagine this at level one? <laughs> Everyone relies on their short rest heals at level one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah. that's Those are the three for the healing that you'll find in your dungeon guide.
2: I think there's something for
1: every table. Yeah. Between yeah. those three and the regular rules. I'm not lacking, I'm not looking for more healing rules. I I like that. You're going to find something.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So let's move on to rest and resting and being well rested. I've had a couple of really cool ones. So basically, this is going to be info on the variant rules around resting, which can be found in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 267. So this refers to, of course, the use of long and short rests, which traditionally, after a long rest of eight hours, you regain your hit points along with some hit dice and spell slots, etc. And after a short rest, which is usually one hour, you can use only hit dice and usually no spell slots are restored unless character specific states that you can.
2: Yeah.
0: So the first one I want to review is the epic heroism. Heroism? Heroism. 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 (laughs) Uh, So basically a short rest is now... How are
2: you rolling that R? Heroism. Heroism. Heroism.
0: Heroism. (laughs) I can't do that. Basically a short rest is now five minutes and a long rest is one hour. This makes healing easily accessible to players and allows spellcasters to use spells more on damage than they would on healing. So it's almost like you can use more of your creative spells you wouldn't normally use if you were to be a spellcaster. So, you know, and not having to heal the stupid rogue all the time. (laughs) The book does even say to consider adjusting the timing on the regaining of spell slots, suggesting restoring either equal or half of their maximum spell slots per long rest.
1: So it's like here's this variant rule, but it might be kind of broken. So maybe only half. Like,
0: yeah, it's like they're but, like thinking, okay, well, spellcasters, this is kind of fucked. So let's figure out how we can balance yeah, yeah. that
1: out. Yeah. Um. And new. Yeah. No. New. No. Hard. Hard pass. And it, it's not even that. It's the fact that you're going to get your channel divinities back faster, and your second winds, nacks, and surges, and all that shit, and your key your points, and, and your... <laughs> yeah,
2: no, no, it's too much. It's Too much. <laughs> a fight in D D in real time take. It's like it, it. like after all of the rounds have been compounded and that is done, is about a minute. Right, You rarely have a combat go beyond 10 rounds. You're trying to tell me that I can just do endless combat, take a five-minute breather on the bench, and then I'm out for my next shift fully rested? Fuck that. Absolutely. Well, I mean,
1: epic heroism will get us there, right? And so, all right, look, if you're going to
2: run at one of the Tales of Yawning Portal dungeons, maybe. No, even then, no. Because then you're defeating the purpose. They're not scary at that point. You have so many resources all the time. Part of the reason why not those are scary. Not every one of
1: them is supposed to be scary, though. I mean, Tomb of Horrors is, but...
2: Uh, they, white Plume uh, uh, Mountain. White Plume Mountain is supposed to be scary, too. Yeah, but right? the
1: earlier ones aren't necessarily... Look, I don't mind this. If you're going to grind, if that's the kind of thing you want to do, where there's no rest and here we go, it's going to be Aragorn and, and we're just going to fucking give her. Yeah. Uh, fine. But this is not for a full campaign. I wouldn't do this for a full campaign. No, but again, there's the, a
0: time and a place for it, I think. Yeah.
1: For a one-shot, I, I'd be okay with this. Six-shot. That's as far as I'd go with it. Yeah, though, right. Like perhaps. let's do something interesting.
0: Well there you go. Well let's talk about the scary one called Gritty Realism.
1: I'm
2: already in.
0: I know. I'm me too. So this makes a short rest eight days. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, no. This makes a short rest eight hours.
2: Okay. 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 Eight hours. I was like, that's not greedy realism.
0: That's just fucked. And then a long rest is seven fucking days.
2: That's a Geiger. Uh, what's his name? H.R. Uh, Geiger? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a painting by him.
0: Yeah, right? So my only question is, who the fuck keeps track of days? Adam. Um, <laughs> Adam does. <but laughs> a-
2: Adam does. Dan when he's on his meds.
0: No, oh, there you go. But I feel like this does pose a limit to doing back-to-back battle, makes dungeons a little bit more frightening, and sometimes forces a pause in the campaign for story and character development.
1: I don't mind this for, like, West Marches-style campaigns. Yeah. Right? Where you're like, which characters are going on which adventures? Like, I'm cool with that. If you're going to... If every player at the table has four characters, and they just want to cycle through different ones because, hey, we're going on this quest off of the freaking quest board yeah right then then fine like i'm into that but oh that's punishing
0: it would just be a fun challenge and like i would say in like a six shotter <laughs> and, and you know
1: what this does this makes low level monsters consistently scary because it's only three damage but it's three damage it you're not
2: getting it
0: might right teach you to talk to your kobolds
2: it uh, okay <laughs> in that case yes <laughs> but any rule set that brings spreadsheets into my fucking game is not one that is welcome so I'm, I'm hard pass on... We have a
0: lot of spreadsheets in Adam's games.
2: <laughs> I'm okay with the the long form, dense, size eight fucking Times New Roman single space text that he sends. Which is like, hey, Dan, read The this. moment there's a grid, Dan, The moment there's a grid, I'm like, fucking no. Oh. One eye starts to
1: twitch and there's a little puddle of urine on the ground. Oh,
0: I, I love think. a good spreadsheet. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Injuries. So this is a variant rule that does come with a small little d20 table, and the roll of the dice will actually determine what I love is a permanent injury. So this can be at a DM discretion that constitutes what a permanent injury could look like for your players. Some suggest, some suggestions in the DMG on page 272 are on a critical hit, when you drop to zero hit points, um, but you're not killed outright, failed death save of five or more, etc., so I think there are some fun ways to use this which constit- that, like to constitute what a permanent injury would look like, like such as a lost limb. Yeah,
2: why yeah. are you staring at me? <laughs> <laughs> yay. Yay. Hey, remember earlier when Adam said that he uh, specifically designates subjects to specific people for specific reasons? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling this is one of those situations. You two are on this episode together because we're going to finally quash this beef right here. There's no beef to quash. Not at all. She was possessed oh. and her leg was out. So... I accept uh, my fate. And I made her a new one. He didn't was,
0: make me a new knee. It, it was, new was new better. Knee, new, leg, new new leg. New yeah. yeah. It was better. It had little, compartments
2: in it to hold potions, potions and stuff.
0: Oh. But... And I also feel like... Because um, in our our campaigns, we do technically play with a rule that is similar. But we do play with this variant rule, but we yeah. don't really use the table. It is very customized to what happened to your character. So, like, for instance, my character fell into a fire... And died and then was pulled out, revived, and now she was covered in scars.
1: Yeah. yeah. Whenever you go unconscious, the hit that knocked you down yeah. will leave a scar. Will leave a scar. You can get rid of that scar with a greater restoration. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, but if you're using the table, there is a, a D twenty dice table that you can roll on where it does give suggestions such as losing an eye, which would be a disadvantage on wisdom, uh, losing an arm or a hand, so you can no longer hold two handed weapons, etc. Losing a foot or a leg. Uh <laughs> Losing any limb, uh, doing an internal injury that actually um, makes you have to do a like a constitution saving throw anytime you want to be in combat, like that kind of stuff. So, Oof. but I feel like if you're rolling on a random table for an injury that was very specific, it seems really strange to me.
1: I like having the list at my disposal. I don't, but for ideas. I, yeah, I yeah. don't want the the random roll for it. Yeah,
0: yeah, but I mean, they do do include horrible scars, festering wounds. And then they also have a minor scar, which is the top 17 to 20 roll. So if you roll really high, all you get is a little scar.
1: <laughs> One of the things that I would really like to play with, and I'm not sure this is the campaign that we're doing right now to play with this, is the idea of ongoing injuries that have, like, time limits to them. Like a festering wound. Like, you're okay, but you're slowly getting more and more levels of exhaustion or your max hit points are dropping by two every day that goes by. Get to a high-level healer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like having to remove a curse.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, I really like that mechanic, um, but that's not what this gets into, is it? There's nothing like that.
0: Uh, I mean, festering wound would be your closest one, uh, which is yeah, your hit point maximum is reduced by one every twenty four hours.
1: Oh, uh, it's close to what yeah, I said. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. So it's basically what that is, um, and it does say that you could, as long as you're magically healed by a sixth level um, or higher.
2: So, so restoration. Like,
0: like, yeah, rest or, like, or regenerate or something like. Yeah. that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So there is that one in there. Um, so again, to your point, this table has a very good inspiration table, but I do feel like I would rather use it as a, as per injury. It would be funny if you got like cut in the leg and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'll roll on the table. You lost an eye.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it also makes it so that you're going to, what was the name of that? There's a Viking warrior who was like super famous, killed a bunch of guys like barehanded and has these songs written about him and he was killed because he had beheaded his enemy and hung the head by the hair off of the horn on his saddle. And as he was riding, the open mouth hit him in the leg, and the teeth nicked him, and he got an infection and died from it. Hmm. That kind of shit you will never hear of in D&D, but festering wounds should be a thing. Yeah. I
0: feel like we're going to get a festering wound in our campaign at some
2: point. I, I mean... That I, was Dan's nickname in college. <laughs> no, that was... <that, laughs> <laughs> <In college? laughs> that was lucky for three quarters of that campaign. Just
0: one festering wound. Just
2: moving from place to, pa- uh, pl- to dwarf to dwarf, really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about massive damage. So I find that this one is played in different variations and ways in every campaign I've ever played. So I found it interesting to find that it is technically a variant rule that they tried to include. So this one I feel is in favor of the player and makes it easier to one punch a demon and cause him to have a permanent injury. So in my uh... mind is the opposite. So basically what it does is if an enemy takes damage from a single hit that is greater than half their total hit points, they have to make a DC 15 con saving or suffer a random effect. Uh, And then there is a small little table in the DM guide uh, on page 273. That's just a D10 table. That's quite simple. And it can be anything from the creature dropping its hit points to zero, um, dropping zero hit points, but it stays stable. Or basically stunned until the next turn, or doesn't get to use reactions. So, again, things that you can use to kind of creatively stop it. So, um, again, I've seen this used in many different campaigns in different ways. So, I felt this to be very simple and basic when I read it. And I was like, I've. Our D20 table that Adam has built has been my favorite thing that I've ever <laughs> played with for.
2: That's because you get your leg lopped off occasionally. 100%. Yeah. Um, I, I I really like the massive damage thing mm-hmm. as a DM. As a player, I really like it after level 5. Yeah, I'm going to say this punishes
1: low-level campaigns,
2: yeah. right? Yeah. Level 1 to 5 is hard enough to survive. I don't need this on top of it. Because I'm going to get a... a, a someone's going to come in with an elf wizard that has 4 hit points. That's it. 4. And, okay, well, I do... I, I, I hit but, you moderately okay with this goblin, and you took 2 damage. Let's roll on this chart. Mm-hmm, you're dead. Love that. Right? Love it like it
0: so much. My monk would be dead nine times over already. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, easily.
2: So would so uh, my fear bulk. So, like, it, it makes it so that me as a DM,
1: I cannot give you high-level enemies and dangle them in front of your face. Yeah. Right? Because they... I love giving... Like, you guys are level seven. Here's a CR 17 creature that walks in. You decide you're going to take a swipe at him, and he just, boom, knocks you down 75% of your hit points. Dead. Everybody goes, holy shit, and runs away. This rule removes the retreat idea or it makes it way more common and we're going to get fewer yeah. uh, encounters, right? Yeah. So um,
0: Making your choices that if, that if I attack this, I might actually die.
1: And how much does it suck when you take this damage because you failed your athletics check and fell down the cliff, taking half of your damage and now you're dead? Yeah.
0: I think that would be hilarious. Oh,
1: until it happens to you. I,
0: well, you know what? I'm I'm used to characters dying at this point, but I think it would I've be... I've never
1: killed one of your characters. In other
0: campaigns, not this one. My characters are very legacy-esque in your campaigns, which, thank you very much. Please don't stop that from
1: happening. <laughs> Please. I take donations in the form of beers. No, yes. Please target someone other than me. That's all I ask. Oh, Dave's got a fucking upcoming.
0: He's got his comeuppance? No,
1: it, it, it's an upcoming.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: What kind of midweek are you two doing? Okay, so (laughs) if you would like to reach out and talk to us about how we're wrong on all of these ideas and concepts and why these are the greatest variant rules that you've ever heard or the worst and you have better homebrews and shit, you can reach us at info at itsamimic.com or, of course, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or at r slash itsamimic on Reddit. I'd love everybody on Reddit. You guys keep talking to us. You get quiet sometimes. It's a little bit... Dan cries. It's he. That, I you, do that. I do that normally. But you leave him alone with his own Reddit. thoughts. It's no good. No it's, one wants that. So, not even me. Anyways, you can hit us up with mailbag questions, or if you really, really want, you can send us a positive review, or share us on social media, or just spread the word of the podcast word of mouth because that stuff all helps us a lot. Yeah. So I want to jump into probably, in my opinion. Um, the thing that I cared about the least in this episode, and I gave it to myself to be like, can you care about it?
0: Did you end up caring about it? Ah. Good. Good start.
2: So, the, like... Great way to end an episode. I mean, I I want to point out that this is episode 169 and not one of us has said nice yet.
0: I said it when I looked at it to write my notes <laughs> the other day. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was like, nice.
1: Why? It's a sex number. 169 is a sex number? No, just the last bit of it. Nine? No, the sixty. God damn it. Yeah, the nine the, the, nine. Nine, the nine. the nine. Nine. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to get into the idea of firearms. and Sex number because no. <laughs>
0: God damn it. No is a full sentence, Dan. I'm broke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to get into firearms and special weapons for a second because there are a handful of, of variant rules around weapons. So when you're building your character and you have this idea in your head, one of the things that everybody always wants is the gunslinger. Um, class. Whenever somebody talks about what's a class that we're missing? Someone says gunslinger and I always roll my eyes because... Stupid. Not my d d but maybe in your d d sure. As a matter of fact, there was a shotgun in the last campaign um, the captain of the ship, Captain Warburton had, a, he didn't call that he, he had a, a boomstick but it was very much a blunderbuss that he was loading and His
0: shooting. His longsword, shall we say? Yeah.
1: Um, no, that was a, that was a other <laughs> yeah, weapon. Stop it. So anyway, <laughs> it says right in the um, Dungeon Master's Guide, it talks about the idea of swashbuckling mm. and the Three Musketeers. Do you guys remember the Three Musketeers movies? Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Did, did you ever read the Three Musketeers? Yes.
0: Okay. No, absolutely not.
1: Okay. <laughs> How many muskets did they have? None.
0: Seventeen.
1: <laughs> we watch different movies. So no, it was all swords. It was all rapiers, right? Like there were a every once in a while someone would would pull out a musket, fire it, and then, then run away, yeah. right? And and that's what it is because the idea of swashbuckling is swords. I mean, yeah, there's a single shot pistol in your pants, but we can do that with with a cantrip. Swords and and the way that we have magic and when I, I don't see the purpose in having a specific um, gunslinging kind of character unless that's what you're looking for. Cowboys, gunslingers. And when we look at that, we think of, you know, the duel at high noon and shit like that. But the mechanics don't support that. They do support more of just kind of the Jack Sparrow level of gunplay, which again, there wasn't much of. So let's get into what the mechanics actually are because I was surprised to find that there were some. Normally I see people homebrew the shit on Reddit all the time and it turns out that, yeah, no, it's... It's all on page 267 of the DMG, so it's not even, like, buried deep in Xanathars or anything. So, there are three basic rules. One, your ammunition is destroyed when you use it. So, it's not like an arrow or a crossbow bolt where you can go get it back.
0: Yeah, checks out.
1: Two, you have a limited amount of loaded ammo based on a table in the Dungeon Master's Guide based on the weapon you have. Okay. And it takes an action or a bonus action to reload your choice. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'm going to have issues with that because... You ever tried to load a single shot? You're not going to do it in six sec Anyway. I'm well, it depends mobile. on the gun. Sure. Bonus action, though? Depends on the gun. Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode's going to end us going
0: to the gun range.
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, the is thing- Dave's backyard, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> um, the third rule is you can use an action for a burst mechanic that eats up ten rounds of ammunition to cover a ten-foot squared cube with projectiles not a cone nope each creature in the area has to make a dc 15 deck save or take the normal amount of damage there's no damage on a uh on a fail okay or sorry on a success there's no like half damage right so you either get hit or you don't dc 15 deck save but a cube i yep. really
0: would love to see a shotgun put a cube spray <laughs> on a wall <laughs> and tell me why it's a cube <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, like, it does feel a little bit strange, um, but I don't know, you have a 30% chance of just dodging it outright? Sure. But this is the burst mechanic too, so the idea is that you would become less accurate with it. They have great rules for this in Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. This is a little weak, this burst mechanic. Yeah. So here are the firearms that are listed, okay? There's not many of them, but they're all considered martial ranged weapons, and every one of them does piercing damage. Bullets do piercing damage. Mm -hmm. That tracks. So for the Renaissance weapons, there are only two. The pistol, which has one shot at a time and does 1d10. And the musket, which does one shot at a time and does 1d12. I'm not going to bother to point out which ones of these are two-handed or one-handed. You can figure it out as you go. This is not complicated. Then there are modern weapons. An automatic pistol does 2d6 and has 15 shots in it. And remember, you can use up to 10 in a round, right? Yeah. The revolver does 2d8 and has six shots in it. I like the fact that you can still spray, like, bullets with it, like fanning the hammer on that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the hunting rifle, which does 2D10 and has five shots. The automatic rifle, which does 2D8 and 30 shots. It's weird it does the same amount as the revolver, but I don't know. I think an AK-47 and a Magnum is going to knock you down about the same. You're not getting up. Sure. And shotgun, which does 2D8 and has two shots so clearly a double barrel not a not a pump action right yeah so how do you guys feel about that so far
0: i don't like it
2: i don't i don't i am okay with uh steampunk and like early access level firearms in my DD campaigns you start getting into like a a nine millimeter and i'm like "Ah, no
0: but i like there's so many other role-playing games out there that did firearms right it does not in my mind belong in d and
2: yeah if you want if you want guns if you want to have that even even if you want a 5e modern game get the 5e modern book like it it's, uh...
1: well it's not technically Wizards, so this is the wizard's rule yeah fair enough okay so here's yeah. here's my thought I'm with you guys I do like anything up to including a revolver mm-hmm. I think that you could have a cowboy standing beside a paladin or a wizard and it's neat sure Assault rifle, no. I'm, I'm out at yeah. that point. <laughs> but that's just me. Okay, so there's also explosives listed because you need gunpowder to fire bullets, so we have gunpowder. Makes sense. It's separated by two eras, of course. There's the Renaissance and then there's the modern. In the Renaissance, you have bombs. You use an action to throw up to 60 feet away. Remember, the throw mechanic for thrown weapons is just using a ranged weapon attack, so there's an AC that you have to hit. But when you're throwing a bomb in a general like vicinity, you don't have to aim. There's no roll. You throw it. Yeah. yeah. Creatures within five feet make a DC 12 deck save or take 3D6 fire damage. So 50% of the time, as it goes higher and higher levels, they're going to succeed more and more often to get out of the way of the bomb. Yeah. And 3D6 is powerful
2: enough, I guess, for mm-hmm. a bomb. And it's creatures five feet away? Five foot radius. Five foot radius. So a 15 foot square. 10 foot.
0: Math.
2: Well, I'm just thinking like, are you hitting the square and then it's 15 feet or 5 feet all around it or are you hitting the point? No, you choose a point. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a 10 foot square. So up to four creatures. Okay. Yeah. So gunpowder kegs and
1: powder horns are the other one. Anyone want to address powder horn? Can we move on? We can move on. Okay. So the kegs are 20 pounds and the horns are two pounds. Two pound horn. 20 pound keg. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. If you set fire to one ounce of gunpowder... Just an ounce, it gives a flare of 30 feet of bright light and 30 feet of dim light beyond that for one round. So an ounce. How many ounces are in a freaking pound? 16. Yes. We can have 20 times 16. So those are big kegs. A lot of gunpowder. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Um, the powder horns are literally horns that have been hollowed out uh, and filled full of this. And they're relatively water resistant as well. It says right in the, in the text. Yep. Um, they do 3d6 fire damage when they explode. Kegs do 76 fire damage. I feel like they should have done more, but apparently it's 76. Um, and it's a DC 12 dex save again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the horns are water resistant, like I said, which makes me think this is good for pirates. Like you can drop that shit into the belly of a sinking ship and blow it up even faster and sure. like yeah. swim up to the ship and stick it to the side and blow it up, you know, so that's what we get. That's what we get for the medieval explosives. I don't really want more than that. I got spells for that
2: shit. Yeah. How do you guys feel? Are we good with this? Was it wasn't even necessary? I, 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 Yes, it was necessary. There are always going to be uh, Jameses at the tables. Who, who want to light
0: shit on who fire.
2: Who not only want to light shit on fire, but break Geneva Convention law. He is and
1: literally the orc that runs up in the Battle of Helm's Deep and blows up the fucking wall. Yes. yes. That is
2: what him in every fucking campaign. So so uh yes, this is necessary. I, I I like gunpowder and powder kegs in my DD. I have no zero issue with them. The save is kind of weak. It is But it, it's it's just nit, it's nitpicky shit like that. Like I could see why so many people uh in action movies survive explosions. If they're using shit like this, right? Mm-hmm. You
0: just did a good roll. Yeah, yeah.
1: So there are also modern explosives that are listed, okay? And there's two kinds. There's dynamite and grenades. Dynamite is kind of neat. I have a special fond place in my heart for dynamite. Fuck you, Dan. So, <laughs> I was going to
0: say, <laughs> sounds familiar. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the other reason that the three of us are here together is so that Meg and I, who died in the Call of Cthulhu campaign,
2: can hate you. I'm okay with that. So for dynamite. Dave
0: Dave shot me, so.
2: Yeah, well, I mean I gave I gave him PTSD. You did. So for dynamite,
1: it takes an action to light and throw it up to 60 feet away. Mm -hmm. So same basic idea as the bomb. Creatures within five feet make a DC twelve deck save or take three d6 bludgeoning damage now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's a concussive blast. Successful saves take half damage. Sure. Okay. Okay. You can make a bundle of dynamite, increasing the damage by one (laughs) d6. and the radius by five feet per stick. What? This, however, maxes out a 10d6 and a 20-foot radius. Okay. So only putting four pieces together, you won't get a bigger radius after four, and putting 11 pieces isn't going to get you any more damage than 10 pieces of dynamite. Yeah, okay.
0: I just feel like most of these mechanics are the most hick thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't want one piece of dynamite. I want four.
1: (laughs) Attach the fuse to, to, to the moonshine.
2: And oh my god! As, as somebody who is uh uh by marriage associated with some of the most lovely um rednecks in southern Tennessee. Uh yeah. Yeah 10 Yeah, 10. uh this this was this was Thanksgiving uh five years ago when they're like you've never you've never had moonshine, you've never dismantled a gun. If All right, here you've never you go, Dan.
0: 4 watts of dynamite in
2: yeah, one go. Yeah, yeah let's, yeah, let's let's hop on the ATV or the golf cart, drive out to the back to the old fridge and uh, make it pay for what we don't know, but you get a fire something. Okay, cool. Great. Love yeah. That. I'm going
1: to be going to talk about my brother. We're just going to move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for dynamite, you can add a fuse. And what that does is it increases the number of rounds until it goes off. Most fuses can be as long as 6 rounds. Hmm. But of course, you can tie fuses together and make it as long as you want. Uh Roll initiative for the dynamite, count down when it hits zero, then it explodes.
0: Okay. That's a cool mechanic, though.
1: I kind of like that. I'm using I, that in my D&D. Yeah, yeah. I could yeah. do that. And then there's grenades. It's an <laughs> action to throw 60 feet. <laughs> it would be nice if we had some grenades.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Uh, you can use a grenade launcher to double the range.
0: Of course.
1: <laughs> Ooh, but still, 120 feet.
2: Yeah, that is a long-range go-fuck-yourself. Like, sure,
1: but listen to what a grenade does. Kay. There are only two kinds of grenades, fragmentation and smoke. Fragmentation grenades are your basic grenades, right? So um, they've got a radius of uh, 20 feet, so huge ra- or huge um, footprint on the battlefield. They require a successful DC 15 dex save to avoid the 5D6 piercing damage. Okay. Okay, yeah. Half damage on a uh, success. Okay.
0: It's very fireball-esque, I guess. Yep, yep.
2: I'm, Yeah. I'm, I'm, I like it. Checks there's,
1: out. And then there's smoke grenades, which just obscure the area in a 20-foot radius. Um, and then it gets into, if there's moderate winds, this is how quickly it yeah. dissipates. Yeah, typical. The strong robot. winds. Yeah, smoke mechanics. So right?
0: this is so. your rogue who wants a smoke bomb. You can just use this.
1: mechanic. Uh, yeah, yeah, really? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would do this. What's What's the other option? There's a uh, flash? <laughs> no, there's an actual smoke. Smoke item. screen? No. Oh, uh, Smoke Sticks. Smoke Sticks, sticks. that's what it is. Thank you. It's been a while since I've had to hand those out. Um, And then, if that's not enough, there's also nonsense like alien technology listed in the GMG because of the Keep on the Borderlands.
2: Yeah. Well, because of Mind flares.
1: Yes. Um, Before a player can use it, they have to, and I quote, simulate the character's ignorance about the technology by making an intelligence check. Hmm. Don't look down the barrel. Don't look down the barrel. Don't look down the barrel. It's Luke Skywalker looking down like the, the lightsaber, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. So um, It only takes two successes for a simple item to be understood. Simple items are listed like uh, cigarette lighters, calculators, and revolvers. You can figure out how a revolver works with two intelligence checks. Huh. It takes four successes for a complex item. Now... There's no gradient. There's simple or complex. That's it, right? So that includes computers, chainsaws, and hovercrafts.
0: Chainsaws are very complex, so...
1: So are computers. I don't care how intelligent the caveman is. It is not logging in.
0: I don't know the password, so...
1: (laughs) Right? So it's recommended to maybe break the item if there's more than four failures per long rest.
0: That sounds familiar.
1: Sure. If the character (laughs) has seen it uh, in use beforehand then they get advantage on their rolls. The amount of meters I've broken at work because of
2: this. Yeah, that that tracks. Very human.
1: However, this shit drives me nuts for the items that are listed because then the only alien technology they give us is firearms. And the firearms listed are a laser pistol, which is 3D6 radiant and has 50 shots. Mm -hmm. Okay. The antimatter rifle, which does 6D8 necrotic and has two shots. There's no details on this, by the way. If you kill someone with an antimatter rifle, they just fall over. I really feel like they should be disintegrated or become dark matter and implode or, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean,
2: be intelligent with it, yeah. Sure.
1: Um, and then there's the laser rifle, which is like the laser pistol. It does 3D8 radiant instead of 3D6. It has 30 shots instead of 50. And it's a two-handed weapon. Great. Sure. Now I can get into Star Trek fights. I don't know why I would ever hand these out, but some people might. Especially you're, if you're into Mind Flayer shit, right? Well, if you're realm. playing Icewind Dale, there's literally a laser pistol
2: in Icewind Dale. Yeah.
1: So, so, uh, each one of them uses energy cells to function, um, and the energy cells are essentially just like a magazine clip full of ammo. Okay. So, um, however many... You know, I said the laser pistol has 50 shots. The energy cell has enough energy to do 50 shots from the laser pistol or two shots from the antimatter antimatter rifle. That kind of shit, right? Yeah. So, um, that's that's a lot of bullshit for a lot of firearms and explosives. I like some of it. I... I kind of hate some of it. Well,
0: some of the mechanics can be used or multi-purposed in things that are, in my opinion, more inherently D&D themed. Yeah. Or like a random item that you find every once in a while because you ended up at a place where a bunch of other places have ended up. Like it just, I, maybe just because I don't like guns. I'm sorry. I yep. just, <laughs> This just doesn't have any interest to me.
1: So, there are two other kind of variant rules um, when it comes to weapons, but we're going to move back to more classic D&D weapons for a moment here.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, You'll notice I didn't talk about cannons and shit. All of that is in um, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Yep. Those aren't variants. These are things on ships you get. Yep. Right? So, in the DMG, these are listed as optional for every D&D campaign. Yeah. Um, In Xanathar's, on page 78, they talk about adamantine weapons. These are incredibly hard special metal uh from incredibly rare mines and asteroids. Cool. So the idea is that these things come from space and sometimes they crash land and then you can find a vein of them in the ground and Sure. Um adamantine is it's just adamantium. They just don't own the copyright to that or the trademark Adotanium. so they can't. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it's just it's the super metal. And it the only special thing about it is if you hit an object with it, it counts as a critical. No. That's it. That's it. Whether you um, coat the item in it or, or the item is made of it, like whatever your weapon, whether it's ammunition or like a sword, it doesn't matter. It's a critical on a hit against an object, not a creature, not a construct, an object. Okay.
0: You can just break shit.
1: Yeah. It's almost like, I want to say, it doesn't say it anywhere. There's like a frequency thing
2: happening, right? What if you put it on armor? Does it improve armor at all?
1: There is adamantine armor listed in the DMG, um, but it's just a special kind of armor. Yeah, okay. Like it's a plus, whatever to your to your um, defenses there. So, um, also doing this, and again, it just makes you kind of siege weapony, right? Which is neat if you want to be that dwarf with the battleham, right? Like you go sure. do you, but it costs an extra five hundred gold pieces per weapon or piece of ammunition. Yeah. So if you want to do a quiver of twelve arrows, that's that's three thousand gold. Okay.
0: And diamond. I'm just kidding. It's not actually. True.
1: <laughs> Should <Yeah>. be.
2: <laughs> um.
0: Space rock. Do
2: you guys like it?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, this, it's an, again, it's fantasy-ish enough that I feel like it's. Seems... I'm I'm
2: all for weird materials for weapons in my fantasy games. There's Not so real. many weird materials. Vibranium, yeah. adamantium. Well, I'm, uh, I'm into it all. More like ironwood as well, right? Yep. Like Like uh, in past editions, we've had that to get around druids and their inability to wield metal.
0: I felt like you guys were looking at like you were looking. It's at your me. fault. But, like
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm all, I'm all for it. I wish it did more. In it, previous it, editions, adamantine, uh, adamantine weapons were um, uh, coveted. Like they were, they were great. Well, and they still are. They're still worthwhile. They're you're still going to have it
1: like hung up above a hearth in a castle. Yeah, yeah. Heirlooms are going to be made out of this stuff. It's going to be really rare. But I mean, I yeah, I, I wanted to do more, right? Mm-hmm. Expand the crit range. Yeah. Right? Do something like that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, the other variant rule for weapons is wands that don't recharge. Okay. So, you guys familiar with how wands work
2: in D&D 5th Edition? Because there's two kinds of wands. You use uh the things and then at dawn they recharge a certain amount plus one. Like a, a D3 plus one or D4 plus one charges per day.
1: That's if they're the magic items out of the DMG. The Wand of Magic Detection, three charges, regains 1d3 expanded spell slots Mm -hmm. at dawn, right? Like, that that kind of shit. Uh, Magic Missiles has seven charges, and it regains 1d6 plus one again, so on and so forth. Every once in a while... um, it says that if you expend a last charge, you roll a d20, and on a one, the wand crumbles into ashes and is destroyed. That's not going to happen very often. It just feels like an extra fuck you to the players, but <laughs> but whatever, sure. Like, that's that's fine. So, that feels like a lot of, of management to it. There's also the wands that just simply act as spellcasting foci. Yeah. yeah. Right? So... It's not a wand of Magic Missile. It's not a wand of Fireball. It is just the wand your wizard holds and casts out
2: of. Yeah. We and got that, him Leviosa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's fine. But we're going to talk specifically about these special, like, charged wands. It does say on page uh, 141 of the DMG that uh, you can limit the number of uses a wand has by not letting it recharge. So if it's extra powerful and you hand it out early, they don't keep it forever. Yeah. I've done this to great effect in my campaigns yes. hundreds of times. However, it also recommends increasing the number of charges to 25 wow. because you're you're never going to let them recharge it. And my thought process there is no.
0: Absolutely not. No,
1: as a matter of fact, I'm going to let you have 5 or 3 or or 11. I I'm going to pick a bizarre like not dice number um number and I'm going to give it to you guys and say manage this shit we'll see.
0: Well, my favorite thing that you've done using these wands is that sometimes the one itself will show how many charges were on it and had existed. So you'll be like, it has three out of what was seven. Yeah. And so you'll be wondering like, what happened to the other four? And I thought that was a great... And you'll
1: never know. You know what I mean? Cast identify.
0: But yeah, that's true.
1: That's, that's okay. Actually, I don't think you two knew this, but this is the thing when I was playing with Jess and Jamie and everybody beforehand, and I've always just carried this. Up cast identify.
2: Learn the history of the thing. Oh. oh shit! That's a thing you could do. Yeah. Dan, oh.
0: write it down.
2: So, well, <laughs> so there's a there's uh-huh. I gotta re I gotta relevel my character before we go because I need to choose some new spells. Yeah. So, but like some specific things you
1: can't do that on mundane items, but like God touched or dragon touched items. Yeah, learn the history, do the thing. That's cool. Oh, cool. Okay, I'm on board with that. That's a
0: fun variant rule for you guys.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a homebrew, but yeah. So, so how Home do you guys brew. feel about about these, the the Item the weapon variants. Yeah,
2: I, I want to see more weapons
1: variants options like for types. What are mithril
2: weapons doing? If anything should expand a crit range, it's one of those. Well, that, what the no, vorpal is the keen. kill killing a crit keen is the one keen is great. the one that expanded the threat range in previous editions. Yeah.
1: Mm. So, yeah, I want to see more metals. I want to see more magic shit that like you know if you're gonna give us alien technology give us technology, not just ray guns. Yeah. And they do, it's littered kind of throughout the book. Like, I would assume that that kind of shit is when you want to get into one of the Hellfire engines down in Avernus and stuff when you're riding around Mad Max style. Yeah. If you've never seen one of these before, this is a good rule for trying to figure it out. Yeah. But I mean, like... I don't know. Like,
0: if you're going to, again, if you're going to use alien technology, why not have electricity somewhere in your D&D campaign? Like, a dragon found it, and now their cave is just littered with... Lights
2: just a bl- uh, well, I, I just like a blue dragon, yeah. That would actually be a really cool thing for a blue dragon layer. It just has lights, mm-hmm. but they like fluctuate and move as the dragon moves around the layer as it like changes the polarity of the ro- oh. I well, I really like the idea of, of they've taken over
1: a uh, a mine flare like colony ship mm-hmm. and they've pulled a the generator out of it and they have got lights just during like electric lights. When your guys walk in, they lean over, blow electricity into the generator, and it just lights the room up like it's slowly dimmer
2: over the next 10 minutes. Yeah.
0: And they're so confused because they're so used to seeing ma- it's weird because they're so used to seeing magic in the campaign that I feel like that would be something that was a little more whimsical.
2: I am a firm believer that technology is just magic. Like you could you could you could just combine the two, right? I said I said this with a, uh, another episode as well where um technology is just magic under a different lens, yeah. right? So Um,
0: it's going to look like magic to someone who doesn't know what it is
2: right so that may be a ray gun but that's just a that is a fun wand of scorching ray yeah right like eh. so I'm okay with having technology in my games I wish there was more option Um, however when it's a far more mechanical level of technology, like automatic rifles and shit, I, that, that's where I start losing But that's
0: what, it's the weapons, right? Yeah. It just seems like a weird thing to flex.
1: Sorry. Okay. So it was Arthur C. Clarke who said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes. Mm. That's what, that's what Yeah, you mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cute.
1: So ultimately, I like the firearm stuff as a template-ish. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wowed by the firearms themselves. I like the explosives. The alien technology is neat. I might play with it. yeah, the adamantine weapons is a good start, but we're not there yet. And then the ones that don't recharge are uh, fucking duh. yeah, yeah. right.
2: So that should be
0: there very flavorful. that's
2: that's something I just add. like that's not a variant for me. that's just gonna be there. yeah. so that'll be it for this discussion on variant rules. Now, we've got a lot more Dungeon Master Insights, so check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be diving into Fizz Bands yet again to see the Chromatic Dragon updates that are presented there.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsmimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to our community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info
1: at itsamimic.com. What's a meta rule that you would like to see applied to more D&D tables? I, for one, would like there to be a free beer rule for all dungeon masters. Considering I am the. I was gonna DM. say you're
0: the only DM that we yeah. have right yeah. now like, <laughs> in my life.
1: <laughs> uh, for me, like a uh, meta rule outside of gameplay, outside of game, outside of game uh, are we gonna roll for it? Yeah, sure, go nuts. Yeah. Five. A seven?
0: Ah, one. <laughs>
1: well, I did mine already, so th- so fuck.
2: Uh, so, you you were hoping a, to stall. This is a ploy to stall, yeah, so I can right. think a little bit more. Um. I'm just drawing a fucking blank.
0: Oh, okay. Well.
1: (laughs) You can hold your action. We don't do that. We haven't done that in about 100
2: episodes, but we have done it. All right. Well, um, for me, a meta rule for um, D&D, it's completely outside, but I hate having uh, phones and technology and stuff at the table, personally. Um, When I'm DMing, when I'm playing, I'm like, fuck, man, it's a great resource. Like, I don't want to keep all my spells lined up, but... Um,
0: also says the man who usually has his character sheet on his phone.
2: No, my character sheet's paper. Okay. I right. do. I do use my paper character sheet. There are no, good all times. the stuff on his phone are all of those half-baked characters that will never,
1: ever, ever see the day of light. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, or the light of
1: day, as a matter of fact.
2: But there is there. I have a couple apps that are fantastic, like Spellbook apps. Yeah. So they really help me when I play spellcasters, and I've been in a big spellcaster kick lately. So it's it's kind of hard to walk away from my spellbook. So nerd
0: um i really enjoy when someone does something stupid you throw something at them
2: uh we have the pigeon
0: yes exactly Mm, i say the pigeon should be just used constantly and regularly
2: the the metagaming pigeon is is fantastic thank you thank you crystal for making that for us um but i've i've used it at tables a few times and it's been used against me a few times many times it fucking has it
0: makes (laughs) me the happiest person on the planet when other people get hit by the pigeon
2: Other people, not you though. I don't
0: think I've ever been. No one's ever thrown a uh, pigeon at me. N- no, no one's it's
1: brave it's enough it's to throw a pigeon at you. True. I can just start giving a warning like ahead of time, like like okay, it's the yellow card before the red card's going to be a. <laughs> 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 Talk conversations with <laughs> Discussion, <laughs> you fuckheads. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Dan. No, well, we've kind of hit our, our maximum level. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, we're <laughs> good. Okay. God.
1: Damn. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dan? Single shot pistol in your pants? Would you like to comment? Where well, is This the section okay. where
0: all this is coming up. So... <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mouthful of Adam. <laughs> you think I'd be used to it after four years? <laughs> I, may, I may be sleep-deprived.
0: Oh,
1: I that
2: on a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it'll come off in the laundry, I guess. God uh, It's going
0: to be one of those. I mean, we have to make it one of these episodes, okay?
2: Uh, the DM tips always descend into this. I don't know why.
0: To stay entertained uh. somehow.
2: Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye.